This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Mostly What God Does, written and narrated by today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie. Mostly What God Does is available now everywhere you get your audiobooks. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Susie Larson to discuss strength and courage for spiritual battle. I can be leery of hyper-spiritualized battle talk. So if that's you, keep listening because we discuss the danger of putting too much focus on spiritual warfare over spiritual formation. Susie also shares from a place of experience as her battle with Lyme disease has brought her near to death, leading her to fight intense fear with prayer, scripture, and intimacy with Jesus. Susie's passion for God's word shines through and will leave you motivated to dig into his word to be equipped for our daily battles. As we begin, if you're a fan of Grace Enough, Please follow Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Click the link in the show notes to find my profile. I love to connect with listeners and Instagram and Facebook is the place where I do that regularly. So I would be grateful if you would click over and join me in those spaces. Susie Larson, welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Amber, great to be with you. Thank you for letting me be with you. And folks who are listening have no idea what we just went through behind the scenes <laughs> to get to this point. But we are <laughs> and prevailing in Jesus' name. Oh, I always get so tickled because I, I do have some friends, obviously, that listen. And, you know, they have at times said, we wish you'd quit getting on there and saying we had a whole conversation before we started. I'm like, well, in this case, it was technical difficulties, but here we are. <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. So I like to begin my conversations having my guests share a little of their faith journey with Jesus. So how did you begin walking with Jesus? Just briefly, like what has that looked like in your early years? Well, I kind of have to go back to childhood because that really serves as a context for how I walk with God, why I walk with God, and even my style in writing and communicating. So I was raised in a large family in a denomination where I really knew God was real. I really did sense his presence as a child and I knew he was big and I knew he was real. I did not know Jesus was accessible. I just knew Jesus hung on a cross. I always felt bad about it. I really didn't know what that had to do with anything other than I I felt bad about that. But I would sense God's presence. I was fifth of seven kids. I was a rule follower, tried to obey a lot, that kind of stuff. And when I was about nine years old, I was pinned down by some teenage boys in our neighborhood and suffered a sexual assault. And when I got up from that, I was absolutely confused about the world, about God, about myself, a lot of fear. I started to have nightmares and I didn't tell anybody because I didn't know if that was my fault or I had done something or, you know, um, so it was, it was terrible, right? And so when I was about 10 years old, I was walking home from school and I was jumped by a different group of teenage boys and they beat me real bad. And they laughed and they kicked and punched and pulled fistfuls of hair out. And I'm screaming and crying. I'm four feet tall. And I'm, you know, I'm, they're laughing. And I know my now they were high on something because they had this crazed look and they were just for sport beating me. And I was screaming and I'm getting fists to the face and fat lip and scratches and 
hair yanked one way. And it, it's so traumatic to be beaten. It's so, so traumatic. Mm. You know, we get so desensitized to it on watching TV, but it's traumatic for anyone uh, oh. to go through something like that. I was a 10 year old little girl. And when I got up, when they were done, they kind of pushed off me, laughed and walked away. And I was so traumatized and I heard in my ear and it wasn't audible, but it might as well have been. Mm -hmm. I can get to you anytime, anywhere and God will never stop me. And that was the voice of the enemy. So at that point, I knew God was real and I knew the devil was real. And really, that is when a lot of fear entered my heart. And uh, and I really felt like I probably would have to endure everything I feared. And so fear became a really constant companion for me. Uh, when I got into middle school, I just became kind of an overachiever, trying to dig myself out of the hole that I believed I was in. And you know, I just want to pause here and say that you know the enemy will go after you in your childhood. That's when he sees your potential long before you ever do. So all you really do need to do is go back to your childhood to see when you first felt like not enough, when you first felt vulnerable, when you first felt afraid. Because his threat against you is always connected to your threat to him. That's just true. Ooh. Yeah. And I think it's really important to discern that. So I will, in my middle school, I was in the choir and I volunteered in the office and I was in gymnastics and I did all these things to try to dig myself out of a hole that I believed I was in. And, uh, you know, God had given me some kind of athletic ability and I could do a number of these things. And I often say that when you don't know who you are, you will misuse your time, treasures, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And I, yeah. I just didn't know. I didn't know what it was. And um, when I was in eighth grade, I was walking out the door. And I have to say, it, it was, being one of seven kids, my mom had this ability to make us each feel like we were her favorite. We were her best wow. friend. She was amazing. She's still, so she's 90 years old. It's so amazing. But we wow. always argue about her favorite. And But she just had this way of being so intimately connected with each of us. So I And I loved that. But I always felt like I was keeping a secret from her regarding the sexual trauma. They okay. all knew so I was she beat up. But she didn't know about the trauma, the sexual trauma. Right. She knew. I mean, when I came home battered and beaten, they all knew. But mm -hmm. um, all the affection they gave me around that, I sort of put on that other wound, too. Mm -hmm. But here I am in my you know, young teen years thinking I'm keeping a secret from her. But I really did. My dad was the mayor of our city. So okay. uh, we were public people. And I just thought, would I bring a scandal on us? I like I didn't know. The, mm -hmm. And these boys, the sexual trauma were my brother's friends. The, <gasps> the second one. Uh, yeah. And the second trauma was just guys from another community that were two and three times my size, you know? So that's where I think just, I was so afraid. So I'm walking out the door to a slumber party one night in eighth grade. And I love my mom so much. And she teasingly said, now don't sneak out to meet boys. And, and I almost stopped to say, let me tell you why that's the last thing in the world. I mean, I, I love her so much. And I felt like this is my chance. But then I thought this will change everything relationship yeah. and this could open worms and i'm like i can't do it so i just turned around and said i won't mom i won't sneak out oh. and so at the slumber party we we're doing all the girl things dancing and eating doritos and all the stuff girls do at slumber parties and about 10 o'clock these girls decided to sneak out and meet boys and i thought i was gonna throw up i, I really thought it like you don't want to put yourself in that position and they all just mm. thought it was you know kill joy and i'm like please don't right. go please don't go but they went and i stayed back with the two girls who smoked so that's my joke, but they didn't. <laughs> I always joke when I'm speaking. I didn't inhale. So there's that. But, uh, 
were in their sleeping bag and they really wanted nothing to do with me. I'm on the other side of the basement all by myself sitting in my sleeping bag, but they went to the local Catholic school for their education. And so they're sitting in their sleeping bags, mocking what the nun had taught about mm-hmm. the book of Revelation. And I'd never heard anything like that. They're like, you know, can you believe what she taught us today about the seals and the judgments and people are going to want to die, but they won't be able to, oh, as if that's going to happen. And I'm like, I've never heard anything like that before. So I'm leaning in and listening and I just felt wooed by the spirit. So I went out and I wouldn't have identified it as that, but now I know that's what the Holy Spirit was drawing me to himself. And I went and sat on the picnic table and I said, God, I know you're real, but if there's more to you than I know, make yourself real to me. I'm going to start reading the Bible. And I literally said this. I'm like, I think it's kind of boring, but if you can snazz it up, we got a deal. <laughs> I, I, I marvel I love it. that I prayed that. I was a young, immature teenager, and I always joked that God was up there rubbing his temples going, huh, in on a technicality. We got to take her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I mean, I just, I wanted to know more about him. Uh, but I did start to read the scriptures, and I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love wow. with him. I understood why there needed to be a payment for my sins, because I felt like the worst sinner of them all. And mm. congregation or denomination that I was a part of didn't want you reading the Bible on your own. I went rogue and was reading the Bible under my bedsheet at night and I could not get enough of Jesus. So I fell in love and with And you were a teenager. A teenager. I love yeah. it. And when I was about ninth grade, uh, ninth or 10th grade, I heard about a Bible study in the next community and I lied to my parents and said, I'm going to the library. And I went to the Bible study and I could not get enough of the Bible study. So I would come home and mom's like, how's the library? And I'm like, this whole family needs the library. <laughs> All y'all need the library, you know? And I just, it was just, unpacking scripture one verse at a time. And I, I was, I was made for it. I I just couldn't get enough of it. So that's how I started following Jesus. And you jump ahead as a young mom during my third pregnancy of six months of bed rest, I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick. And a year later found out I had Lyme disease. And again, I hear it in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. Mm -hmm. God will never stop. So for a long time, I followed Jesus, loving him, knowing I was saved but not knowing I was loved. And so mm-hmm. all of the breakdown that happened with sorting through past trauma and then the trauma of a profound chronic illness is where you know the, all of the enemy's assaults against me became very clear and God's word and promises for me became clear. And I learned how to battle and learned how to possess mm. the promise and on who I am. So you'll notice in, you know, in my radio show and the books I write, there's a fighting language, a contending language Because I would submit that the abundant life doesn't just come to your doorstep because Jesus died. He died for it. But you got to contend for the promises because you Mm -hmm. have a thief. Aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and that's something in your one of your most recent books you've written. Goodness, how many have you written, Susie? (laughs) Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Oh, it's it's. It's so impressive because I know, I don't know personally, but because I have author friends, I know the labor that goes into that. So um, yeah, that's quite a feat. But in one of your most recent ones, Strong in Battle, you do start out talking a lot about your fear of suffering. And really that fear of suffering, I am assuming, came out of your diagnosis with Lyme's disease, or is there more to that? That's a great question. You know, I think that's a, I would say yes and yes, um, because there were unresolved fears because of what happened. You know, like I would read promises of protection. And I also mm. am an empath and a highly sensitive person. And I care a lot about the persecuted church and about human trafficking. So I've been very well aware of some of the trauma that these girls and even little boys endure 
So I, I didn't know how to reconcile like, well, mm-hmm. what does protection mean exactly? And it's like, and sometimes you hear people make it a formula. Well, they're not praying the prayer of faith just right. Or A plus B is always supposed to equal C. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, it doesn't always. So I, I'm like, where do I put my feet when you do allow horrific things to happen? You know, that, that's been super hard for me. And with the Lyme, it's been a neurological battle and they're in, the symptoms have been horrendous and they've gone after uh, with my brain. It's been impacted my brain and my, a lot of facial numbing, dizziness, memory things. And so when you say it's a feat to write 22 books, I, I could cry when I think about it because all of the attack has been against my brain. Wow. So I marvel when I think, I don't know how I did that except for the grace of God, because of the times I was writing with full facial numbing, full dizziness, trying so hard to keep clear, a clear thought. Um, I, I really could cry. It's only the grace and the glory of God. But I will say for 20 years, I mean, for six, seven years, I suffered pretty intently. And then for about 20 years, I figured out how to do life. And I fought very hard for health. I was in the fitness industry for 10 years, taught aerobic classes. But about four or five times a year, I couldn't get out of bed for a few days because yeah. it would just hit and uh, everything would go awry. And then about eight years ago, I had a massive relapse and uh, people with Lyme often have a, a inability to process mold. And I had a repeated yeah. black mold exposure they didn't know about it, which again, it attacked my brain where my tongue was going numb. I couldn't spell anymore. I, I, I was losing my way in my neighborhood. I mean, really terrifying, terrifying symptoms. So there's something about neurological symptoms that are scary. And the thing about when you have a neurological dysfunction, it can sometimes spin off into something much yes. worse. So there's yeah. that looming sense of the next shoe's going to drop. So living constantly with that has been quite the, the battle. And when I wrote Fully Alive, which came out right before this, is when God really went after that lie. I can get you anytime, anywhere. This is when he really broke in. It was in my bathroom. My arms were numb. My face was numb. My oh. room was spinning. Like, no, God, no, God, no, please, no, please, no. And the Lord whispered, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what? The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I mean, there was a neurological, spiritual nightmare happening in my bathroom. And mm-hmm. my whole body was buzzing. Fear was amped up. And I hear that whisper. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, what is the lie that I believe? And then the enemy railed in my ear. I can get you anytime, anywhere. And God will never stop. Me. And the Lord came back just thundering so strong. That lie. He said, Susie, you have walked intimately with me. You've treasured my word in your heart, but you have believed that lie. And he said, it is not true that he can get you anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I've did in your life. You don't know how I provided in your life. I am not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And that became a D-Day battle. And that's when I learned because the inflammation was so horrendous in my body. I have three magnificent doctors, all are believers. And they said, Susie, we're going to help you with the inflammation. You got to deal with the fear. Because when any time, and I've studied the science of this because yes. I'm a fit, you know, I'm a fit person and I'm a health person mm-hmm. and I have a, a brain. I will just say I covered a lot of my show. Studying the neurology of fear, anybody who gets into fear, you open a cascade of inflammation in your body. So let's say you have a bad knee or a bad back, and the enemy gets you into fear, you're going to wonder why that thing is flared up because the inflammation will go to the weak places in your body. It is really amazing. So this is why fear is his favorite weapon. And I think he's used it against the body of Christ and people in general in the last three years in a way that he he should never have gotten away with. And okay. I think it is time for us to reorient our faith and to go, wait a minute, what does God say? And I would just tell you one of the things I learned about the brain as I was trying to get my cognitive function back was that your brain operates on, on one of two fuels. And mm-hmm. science has found this apart from faith, fear or love. 
Yep. So if you're in love, your cells are opened up, you're energized, you're equipped, and you, your capacity to learn new things is significant. When you're in fear, everything shuts down because you're in fight, flight, and protective survival mode. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of my just passions is to move us out of bracing for impact into expecting and counting on God's goodness. And that's what my next two books are about, is, is training our hearts and minds to get into a place where I know the enemy threatens, but I know my God is good. And I'm going to retrain my brain, my heart, and my soul to count on him being good. So, and strong in battle really is about equipping you from the for the yeah. battle in the middle of the battle going, I got to know how to stand. I got to be uh, discerning of the enemy's consistent schemes because he's very predictable. I've got to remember who I am and who God is so that when it's all said and done, I'm the one who's still standing. And I, yeah. I feel very passionate as well. Well, and what I say is um, it's brain science catching up with God science. I'm a physical therapist by training. And so I don't, I haven't practiced um, for 10 years, but it's a passion of mine that I'm always studying what the brain is doing. And I love when I speak to women using that phrase of this is just brain science catching up with God science. Like God designed our brains this way. And now we're able to have the tools to research just how much what damage the enemy or what things the enemy throws at us impacts our reaction. Indeed. Amen. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group? teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. So with Strong in Battle, sometimes I do feel like people can get such a battle mindset and it, it seems like that's almost all they can talk about. And it becomes, in my opinion, at times, a hyper focus on uh, what the enemy is doing in our life and sometimes not paying attention that our flesh can at times be responsible too. How do you um, kind of sit in that tension? How do you kind of flesh that out? Or is has that been an experience for you in communicating with other people? Well, you know, I remember during this relapse, you know, the first several years of it from eight years ago was horrendous. And I was in constant battle. And I, I mean, it was yeah. all hell had broke loose. But I'm like, you you got to give me something because there's times where the heavens seem silent. And I'm like, I need yeah. energy because I don't want to, this to be all about battle. But there are seasons where the enemy unleashes, oh, yes. you know. And yet you're so right. Sometimes people can identify where they're almost like, you know, a victim mentality of someone with a chronic illness. They're known for their illness. And our identity is in Christ. We are heirs of God, joint Christ. We go through the valley of the shadow, but that valley does not define us. And we have to be so careful because our identity is made for God. But if we're not resolved in that, 
it will attach to things that give us a temporary mm-hmm. sense of identity, even things that we think are okay and they're not. Like being having your identity be, I'm always in battle. Well, no, he brings us to places of replenishment, places of recovery, restoration. Mm-hmm. But when I was in battle, I still wanted to know he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul like lord how do i I navigate this because you can't live in constant with locked elbows or you know how do i do this and he gave me three things and forgive me for referring back to fully alive but it's that's where it is and this just might help i loved fully alive my friend stephanie russelli was like you need to do fully alive this was a couple years ago and i was like Thank you. Uh, I mean, what I love about it, because I feel like it answers your question, is it's there's not a one size fits all battle strategy. And I, no matter what your battle is, it's not an only one response. I mean, I feel like God had me do these three things interchangeable based on what he was teaching me. And one was uh, you rest while I work, you feast while I fight and you wait to take flight. So when I was getting restless, when I was wanting to strive in my own strength, he says, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still, cease striving. That is how it translates in another translation. But it means let go, sink down, relax, and in some cases, be quiet. And then no means to encounter God in an experiential way. So when you're in battle and the enemy is trying to get you disoriented and you suddenly just want a preemptive response or an outcome because you you can't, you don't want to, like you want to rip the bandaid off. I often say we want relief. But God wants redemption. We want just a break, yeah. but he wants to break through. And the temptation is for grabbing any solution. And this is why, Amber, some people will leave their marriage too quickly or they'll quit their job. They'll make a, a, a permanent decision in a temporary battle. And so when you're in the restless and you're in the striving, to me, the, the best thing you can do, and it seems, especially if you're hyper-responsible, it seems irresponsible to let go, sink down into the Father's love, even relax and let and be yes. quiet. Your own words are testifying against the father's words or they're incongruent. Be quiet and then encounter God. So let's say you're striving is I got to go get a third job. I'm sinking financially or whatever, where you start to encounter God in the financial space where you go, Lord, are there ways that I've had a scarcity mindset? Are there things that I've gotten? Out yes. Of where you encounter him where you're tempted to strive. This striving feeds the flesh and it weakens the spirit. So you rest while I work. That's the act of obedience for that one. You mm-hmm. feast. While I fight, that's out of Psalm 23, where he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. So when the enemy's baiting me into a battle that I'm too exhausted to fight, well, then I go to the table. You know, I see myself at the table of grace. I remind myself of my identity in him. I I thank God that there's not a moment where God was going to yank me from my place at the table because I have air amnesia or who I am or I say something that I shouldn't, that my place at the table of grace is secure. And that Psalm, I think it's... Three six, where it says he prepares a table. It means it's the king's table for private use by invitation only. That's what that means. So we have a yes. place at the table of grace. So when you're tempted, when he's baiting you out of that place of abundant feasting, I would say there's times on the battlefield, you let him prepare a table for you. So you're not always in fight mode, you're in feast mode and he's fighting. And then you mm-hmm. wait to take flight. I think it's super important that when things feel the same and it feels like there's no breakthrough, Get a vision for what breakthrough might look like, because when you wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord find new strength. They rise up in a new strength. They run and not get weary. They walk and not faint. They rise up with wings as eagles. And that word new means exactly what it says, a, a strength mm-hmm. you've known before. So when, there, when I was just so army crawling through the valley, I'm like, this word yeah. is true. God's word is true. And there will be a time on the other side of this battle that I'm going to run 
with more vitality than I ever have before. I'm going to show up in my calling with more robust faith than I've ever had before. Sit with that for a while and ponder that because, you know, if the enemy can just keep you swinging, 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 you'll, you'll wear out. But if you can strategically, what is my battle strategy today? Do I need to rest? Do I need to feast? Do I need to wait? Those are the things that will bring new strength to your soul. Well, and don't you agree that it takes super specific intentionality to sit down each day and to ask those questions? Because as human beings, particularly in the world that we live in, if you choose to rest, I mean, that is so often viewed as weakness. And so often it's like that is your best battle tactic in this situation. Um, Whereas sitting at the table Mm -hmm. and reminding yourself of the soul deep security that you have in Christ, along with the rest of the body of Christ, is the best battle tactic you can have. But instead, we just go 100 miles an hour trying to make the next thing happen. Exactly right. Amen. Yeah, I mean, those are the highest forms of warfare, I think, because you're you're not giving the enemy the attention that he's hoping for. You're putting your eyes on the Lord. You're reminding your soul mm-hmm. who you are. You're getting the rest you need. And I, that's why I think your question is so important, because I think sometimes when people get in battle mindset, they think, I got to fight 24-7. Well, it's not all up to you. And, and an act of faith right. to say more rests on God's shoulders than on mine. And, uh, right. and rest can be fighting, right? Oh, because totally. if the 100%. enemy is trying to keep you busy, yeah. Well, I think you got the tactic yourself. to that is rest. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I was going to say, what takes the most faith for you? That's what you ought to do. If it takes more faith mm. to rest, then that's your that's your mode, right? That's the mode of the mode that you should be in. So, yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about this because you have a little bit already with thinking about you know sitting at the table. Um, in the presence of your enemy. But why is it so important for us to have an accurate view of who God is and who we are in his kingdom? Because I think kingdom talk is grossly unrepresented in a lot of Christian circles. And I don't mean kingdom as in what's to come when we all die and the resurrection happens. I mean, like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I feel, how are you to trust someone that you don't know, right? We really have a a theology of God as an inconsistent father, a reactive father, an absent father, uh, or even a vending machine in the sky where, you know, he's bound by our demands. We need a right view of God. I mean, isn't it Tozer who said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I would tell you that Mm. every single thing that you walk through in every day, whether it's a blessing or a battle, a trial or a triumph, is an opportunity to know God. And you look at the Israelites, the way they lost their way is they forgot God. They didn't remember him. They stopped listening to him. They stopped celebrating his miracles. Uh, in, in the Amplified, one of the verses I was looking for before the um, before our time here, and I couldn't find the psalm, but, I, but what it says in the Amplified is they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about that. They didn't remember his miracles. They weren't in awe of his deeds and they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And I've learned for me as, as a really a, a lifetime of fear and fight flight and bracing for impact because of some really hard battles, it took intention and practice to do the very things that the Israelites didn't do. And, you know, it's like, it was so interesting to me about them is that they cried out to God. They groaned. They were in, yeah. you know, under oppressive slave labor. Their cry reached God's ears. He mobilized Moses to come on their behalf. 
But the scripture says in Hebrews that when the answer finally came, it didn't benefit them because it wasn't met by faith, which is really amazing because you look at the, the deeds that he performed on their behalf, that he loaded them down with silver and gold that belonged to the Egyptian people, that not one of them was feeble among them. They're, the only way that's possible is if they were healed when they were in their homes, they were under the blood, when death was going through mm -hmm. the community, because they were, I know that some had herniated discs and parasites and arthritis that when you look at, right. I've looked closely at what they went through. And you as a physical therapist would know that all that, yeah. that harsh beating and slavery and unbelievable work, you know, that was put on them. There's no way that there was not a feeble one among them, barring a right. miracle. So God set them yeah. up to take possession of the promised land. But in the Psalms, it says they refused to enter the promised land because they refused to believe God's promise to love and care for them. So they stayed in their tents and crumbled and refused to obey the Lord. I feel like that's what happens when you don't know who God is. You get into self-pity. You get into counting the days, how long it's been hard. And I'm, I will tell you, I've, I I did that at times where I would go, Lord, it's been three decades of daily symptoms. Oh, yeah. how long? And I think God invites our lament, but all of us know when we cross over from lament to misplaced self-pity, and that's devastating for our soul, and it's an accusation of God. And one thing I say in Strong in Battle over and over again is every day you're given the opportunity to trust God or accuse him. So mm. when you're looking at these, these opportunities every day, it's an opportunity to know God in, you know, in your trial, in your triumph. So I would challenge you to say, God, let me see you here. Let me know you here. He wants to be known by us. And so the more we know his character, and I would say again, to when I looked at, you know, I wanted to do it right. I, I wanted to learn from the Israelites and look at how did they do it wrong? How did they get exiled? You know, how did they get rescued and then never enter the promised land? You know, and then the next generations later ended up back in Babylon. How did that happen? Because I don't want to do that. Mm. And I started to pay attention to they stopped listening to God. They stopped remembering his miracles. They didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. So they accused him of things that the enemy was guilty of. And we are all at risk of that when we're in battle. So that is why it's so important to remember his miracles and, and let the miracles of old be just as impactful to you in this day. I mean, pull them from the past and go, he parted the seed, right? He grafted mm -hmm. into the lineage of Christ as he did with Rahab. Rahab. I mean, wow. You know, you think of the things that yes. he and then look in your own history of the things he's done for you. And this takes intention. Remember the goodness of it the does. Lord. Rehearse mm -hmm. his promises. Imprint his loving kindness on your heart. So when you're doing that as a way of life, it not only will impact your physiology because you're 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 honoring your creator, right? But it's also mm -hmm. strengthening your faith so that when the battle comes, your default response is, but my God is good and his promises are yeah. true. And he will always make a way for me. And then when the trial comes, you'll just be able to say, I know my father. And these battles have a boundaries around them. There's a limit to them. And so I'm going to come through this. And when I'm coming through, I'm going to know him more, know his word more, and be wiser to the enemy's schemes. But you almost have to set that intention ahead of time. Well, and I also want to speak to anyone who is listening and saying, I don't know all this about scripture. Well, it's never too late to start. Uh, just because Susie started as a teenager and I started as a young 20-year-old, when you start really digging into scripture and you begin to learn the story of God from Genesis through Revelation, it's impossible. I feel like it's impossible to live your life in any other way than going to God and asking him to show you some of these things, because his thread is so clear 
And I feel like it points to his loving kindness that as many times as the Israelites forgot and did not remember his faithfulness, he still came back and kept providing a way for them to be redeemed over and over and over again. It just shows his mercy and his grace and his patience with us in the same way. And I don't know about oh you, if the more that I walk with God, the more intimately I walk, the more I ask him, I want to know you more and search my heart. Yeah. The more I see that he's, you know, the scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that he mm-hmm. saved me before I knew the depth and the penalty of and, and the of my depravity, you know, the weight of my sin, the depths of my offense. He, I didn't know yeah. what I was getting. I just knew I needed a savior. And, and with each day I walk with him, I'm more in awe that he saved me before I even knew how much saving I needed. If that's not the scandalous mercy of God, I don't know what is. Amen. Well, let's close with this. Someone who may be listening and going, okay, I feel invigorated right now because this is just an exciting conversation. But then they're like, I'm not sure even where to begin. I mean, I have a hard time sometimes going back to like, where would I have started? What advice um, or what first steps would you give to them? Well, you know, I think it's first John 4, 16. You might have to double check on that. Almost positive. And it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Knowing mean, again, experiential knowing. And then you rely, you put your weight on it. And Dr. Tim Jennings is a brain scientist that I've had on my show a handful of times. And he gave a charge to my listeners that I give to, to those. I just would say, start here. He said, if you spent 15 minutes a day, every day for a month, pondering the father's love, it will change your brain. It'll change your physiology. It'll change your perspective. And so start Googling scripture. If you don't know, Google just verses yes. on the love and compile passages and then make a playlist of songs on the father's love. I dare yes. you to 15 minutes a day meditating on the father's love and we get into scripture. But I think to compile scripture on this topic in Ephesians, it says to know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. And I think if it, scripture also says he loved first, he loved, it's not that we loved God, it's that he loved us. He initiated, he loved us first and he loves us first every single day. So start there. I would compile a list of, of scripture on God's love and immerse yourself. In, and I also would start a gratitude journal because I would say in gratitude, yeah, I think in gratitude makes us spiritually blind because when you're ungrateful, you're entitled and you think I deserve more than God's giving me. But when you are grateful, your spiritual eyes open up and you and you see all the more how blessed you actually are. So the combination of those two things will awaken your heart to who God really is. And then he will tell you, this is your next step. This is the way. Walk in it. He'll show you. Amen. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Susie. I mean, when you talk about gratitude, it really lights me up because of the brain science that's coming out on that as well. And it's been God's idea from the beginning. And so um, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for continuing to battle among all of the illness. And I, what's the name of your show so that if people are listening, they can tune in? Susie Larson Live. And uh, you can go to your favorite podcast player. It's a radio show, but it goes to podcasts immediately after I'm on every day, three o'clock. And in the live show, we give away books pretty much every day. So if you want to go to myfaithradio.com and live stream it, you can do that and get in on the drawing. But otherwise, go to your podcast and search my name. You'll find it. Thanks so much, Susie. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. If you were encouraged or motivated by Susie's words, will you click over to Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram or Facebook and let me know.
As I said in the intro, I would love to connect with you and hear your takeaways from today's conversation. Those links can be found in today's show notes, along with several of Susie's books. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.